Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 119. We're walking through this wonderful Psalm, Psalm 119, that places a great emphasis on the Word of God. Now, remember, as we're going through here, this is not just a psalm that talks about every verse, that God is good, His Word is right, His Word is right, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. But we understand that there's a deeper context to this. That here is a young man who has been used in, to write this <coughs> um, psalm through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's writing it for the purpose of trying to keep him close to God, helping him to stay right. And remember that when we go through the people of the Bible, sometimes we have an imagination that we're reading about super Christians. That you, here's a Paul. Here, we can't be as spiritual as Paul. Oh, there's a David, the sweetest psalmist. And we get to the idea that sometimes that their Christian life is so above and beyond that they never have problems. They never have issues. They never go through things. And so because of that, we sometimes shrug off these things of the Bible. However, as we go through Psalm 119, we could see that here's a man that not only loves the Word of God, but he has some of the same things that we go through. In fact, the backstory of this specific section in here is that here the psalmist is going through depression. And he's having a hard time. He's in a low spot. And how, when he doesn't have anyone to encourage him, he doesn't have a church to go to, he doesn't have a synagogue to go to, he doesn't have believers around him, how do you keep going when there's no one there to cheer you on? How can you stay right with God when there's no one holding you accountable? How can you get out of a depression yourself when you don't have someone who's there pointing you the way? And so with this, we can see the backdrop of this section. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Psalm 119. And let's begin at verse number 25. Psalm 119, starting at verse number 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of the priest, thy precepts, so that I may talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Remove from me the way of lying. Grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have struck Stuck unto thy testimonies, O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. And if you're the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in Psalm 119 and verse number 30? Psalm 119 and verse number 30, notice the phrase, I have chosen the way of truth. I have chosen the way of truth. 
Now it seems like the psalmist has been overwhelmed in great grief. Through whatever hardship the psalmist was going through, he made a decision that he was going to follow the Lord. He was going to stick with that decision of following after God. Now, for that decision to stay in the middle of his <laughs> difficult circumstances, he needed God to help his soul continue through the path of truth in the way that God has set. And so with this, as here's a man who's in depression. Maybe he failed. Maybe he messed up. The Bible seems to indicate this in this passage that maybe there's a guilt of some sin that he did. Maybe... <coughs> He got in the flesh one time and messed up. And now he's regretting it. He's looking back and saying, oh, this, this is... He's now re remembering and working and pleading with God that he could still do what's right. Even after he failed. Even after he's not in the right spirit. How does he go through? Well, first of all, we could see that my soul needs quickeneth. Quickened. My soul needs quickened. Notice with me in verse number 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. This word um, phrase, my soul cleaveth to the dust. The idea of the dust here is that we, uh, it carries the idea of being nothing. In fact, God at times compares us to different ways. God says in we're sight, we're nothing but grasshoppers. It says that we're nothing. Sometimes it says we're dust. The idea of dust carries the idea that we're, we're basically nothing. That we came from the dust. And when we die, we come down to the dust. And he says, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. That I'm so low. I'm so broken. I'm just down and, and just trodden over. Here he could have this over since uh, overwhelming sense of guilt. It's led to of a depression. And as he's struggling with this, he's on the border of a deep depression. He's at a place where he can't help himself. And so notice his prayer in verse number 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. That word quicken carries the idea to, uh, to make alive. Make me alive again. I'm dead. I'm, I'm like the dust. I'm just down so low. I need you to quicken me. To make me alive again. This is uh, the first of nine prayers. <laughs> where he prays for God's quickening. For God's life. By the way, how would we express this today? That word quicken carries the same sense we would use. Revive me. Revive me. I need revival. I am so low. I am broken. Maybe it's because he messed up. Maybe it was because of something. But he's in the depression. And he's recognizing, I need revival. I need God's spirit. I need God's help. I need it. I'm so low. I can't get myself out. That's one of the problems that modern day religion has. And modern day Christianity with its psychobabble. That they'll say... They'll have messages of how to keep your smile or how to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. They love to misquote the verse in Corinthians that God will never give you more than you can handle. Yes, he does. In fact, that verse goes on to say that God will not give you more than you can handle without a way of escape. That way of escape is Jesus. God will more than often give you more than you can handle. 
to prove that you can't handle it and that you need the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what the idea of revival is, is that I need Jesus. I can't do this. I can't get myself out of this depression. I can't just snap my fingers and all of a sudden I wave my wand and looky, I'm happy again. Some of you have tried. It hasn't worked. I need God. I need you to revive me. I need you to bring me out of this. I need you. Quicken thou me. Oh, quicken thou me according to thy word. He says, I'm tr- going off your promises. You promised that if I sought you, you, I would, you would be found. He said, if I asked, you would answer. I'm going on the promises. I need you. I need you. I can't do this without you. Quicken thou me. Give me revival. So the solution was to run to God and ask God to quicken him or (coughs) he can't do it. Very few problems cannot be solved by a person's honest exposure to the Bible. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Now normally we would say, all right, God gave me a promise. But you understand that there's always a reason for your depression. There's always a reason. If you messed up and failed, there's a reason for that depression. And how do you take care of that? Well, the next verse is going to talk about that. We're going to explain that. But there's always a thing. You know what the Bible is good for? The Bible shows us who we truly are. It gives an accurate reflection of who we are. And so when he's saying, I'm going to you, quicken me according to the word. Remember, part of revival is getting thoroughly right with God. That if you're not willing to get thoroughly right with God, then you can't have revival. You can't have the new life. And that sometimes what we need is the Bible to expose to us some things about ourselves. Maybe we don't even realize. I'm under depression. I don't know why I'm so bad. Why do I feel this way? Well, go to God's word. And God may point out, hey, the reason why you're feeling this way is because you have violated this and you need to get this right. He's putting the pressure on to show you that there's something wrong. Something messed up. Something that needs to be. The Bible will show us what's wrong. It will show us how to get it right and how to keep it right. But it's God's word to get thoroughly right with him. That's the answer. Notice in verse 26 now. I have declared my ways. You know what this is? The best. (laughs) This is the idea of confession. I have declared my ways. Lord, I've been honest with you. And I'm telling you. The word confession carries the idea to agree with God. To agree with God. Some people believe that when you uh, are confessing your sins, that you're telling on yourself. God already knows everything. You can't tell him some new information. He's been waiting for you to agree with him the whole time. As parents, we do that too. What did you do? Now, we already knew what they did. We know the answer to the question. Why do we ask them that then? Because we want them to admit that they did it. We want them to admit that they messed up. That's the idea of confession. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Here the psalmist, as he's in a depression, 
as he's saying, Lord, I want you to fix me and I have to be fixed according to your word, to your ways. He says, I, <laughs> I have declared my ways. I've made a confession. I've admitted that I messed up. Now, this is that idea of revival. The idea of revival is to point out what we are doing wrong and to get it right so God could put new life into us. That trying to pray for revival and not getting right with God's never going to work. God cannot put revival, new life into us unless we're a clean vessel. We have to be thoroughly right with Him. Notice as it goes on in verse 26. I have declared thy ways and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. I'm so thankful that anytime we confess our sins, he hears. He never turns his back. He never goes, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. He never says, listen, I you could talk all you want, but I'm never going to forgive you. God always promised to forgive us if we asked. I'm thankful for that. That he'll never turn it back. You know, we're sometimes harder on people than God is. Some people try to get right with us and we get mad and turn our backs and try to kick them when they're down. God never does that. If we come to him sincerely, admitting that we messed up, he will always hear. And then he finishes up by, he says, teach me thy statutes. I messed up. I did wrong. I admit that. Now show me what I need to do. You know, that's part of revival too. Is that only you confess your sins, but you also purpose to do what's right. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I forgot one. See, my mind's not working today. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. That turn from the wicked ways is important. Not only do I admit that I'm wrong, but I need to make a decision not to do it again. Lord, help me. Show me what's right. Show me what's wrong. I confess my sins. I want this revival. I want this new life. I can't go on like I've been going on. How did the psalmist survive all by himself? Well, he had to go to God. And he had to get thoroughly right with God. And make a decision to follow after him. And that was a do-it-yourself project. He had to be willing to do this himself to go to the Lord and get things fixed. Notice in verse 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. He says, you just show me what to do and I will do it. That's yielding himself to God. That's surrendering himself. This is all part of that revival. How can I go on in a world that's against God? How can I go on when there's no one there to encourage me? Revival. Revival. I need God's help. I can't do it myself. I have to get thoroughly right with God. I have to yield myself and surrender to Him and say, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. You can have revival in your own life. It's amazing to watch Christians go through their life defeated discouraged, beaten down, without victory. 
That is not the Christian life that God promised us. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Oh, I'm so thankful that he loved me. I'm so thankful he given me victory. We should be living the victorious Christian life. And every single one of us can. A defeated Christian is a poor example to the world. And God has given us the tools. He's given us his spirit. He's given us access to God. We can go through this life. You say, but I don't have a cheerleader who loves me, who's going behind me every step of the way. You have the Holy Spirit. You have his word. You have the promises of God. What more do you need? We should be living in victory all the time. You go through the book of Acts. Weren't they living in victory? Absolutely. Were people oppressing them? Yes. Were they people putting them in jail? Yes. Were people getting killed? Yes. Did they still have victory? Oh, you bet they did. Because they realized they couldn't do it themselves and they prayed. And as they prayed, God worked. And as God worked, there was more opposition. And so they had to pray more. This should be something that we're continually going for. Seeing victories in our life. And you should be seeing victories in life. And you can have it. Notice this. Not only does he said, my soul needs quickeneth. I need new life in my soul. He also says, my soul needs strengthened. My soul needs strengthened. When you get to a depression, you feel so weak. You feel so inapt. You feel so useless. Not only do you need new life, but you need new strength. Notice in verse 28. My soul melteth for heaviness. The word melteth is a poetic way of expressing weeping. He says, I'm so broken. I'm so heavy. I'm, um, I melt. The word melteth, as I said, is a poetic way. Now, sin doesn't just break God's laws. It breaks God's This is part of that getting right with God, is to be sorry for our sin. That's part of our problem today, is that the altars are dry. There used to be a time where altars were wet with tears, where people were getting thoroughly right with God, seeing their sin, as the book of Romans says, as exceedingly awful. Do you see your sins as exceedingly awful? Some people, even Christians, get to the place where, oh, I messed up, God, eh, forgive me, thank you. But there's no brokenness. There's no getting thoroughly right. We just see our sin as, eh, okay, God, I messed up. But we don't see sin as God sees it. It's exceedingly awful. There's no brokenness. And then we wonder why we don't have victory. Because if there's no brokenness of sin, it's easy for us to go back into that same sin. Oh, I shouldn't lie. Oh, I lied. God, I'm sorry for lying. There's no brokenness. If you want to see an example of a brokenness of sin, go to Psalm 51. Don't turn there, but for your own reference, that's where David is getting thoroughly right with God. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. That's pretty much what the psalmist is doing. I'm broken. No wonder we don't have revival because we're not broken over our sin. 
We're not sorry we're sin. We're sorry we got caught. We're sorry there's consequences. We do the token, I'm sorry, God. It's kind of like your teenager when you catch them doing something. I'm sorry. And they don't mean it. They're just trying to get you off their back. When's the last time you were truly broken over your sins? That you realized that your sins had broken God's heart. And it affected him and your relationship. There's a brokenness there. The psalmist is saying, make me to under, uh, my soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to my word. When we realize that our sin has broken us, we need God's strength. Remember, God said a broken and contrite heart. God will not despise. He will never look down at you for crying over your sins. He will never be disappointed because you broke down and said, Lord, I messed up, I messed up. He will never despise that. That's where our path of victory comes from. That's where the revival comes from when we're so broken for our sins. Lord, I messed up. Again, when's the last time you wept over your sins? When's the last time you were thoroughly broken because your sins have affected your God? Notice as he goes on in verse 29. Remove me from the way of lying. Notice here, God, he, the psalmist doesn't just ask God to remove uh, <laughs> move, uh, lying from him. But he says, remove it from me. He understood that his heart was wicked. It was deceitful. He knew he couldn't trust his heart. So the answer to that wicked heart was the law. It was not to be placed in his heart as a ruler, but the law was to be placed in his heart graciously. That we understand that obeying God's word is not a burden, but what it is, it's a blessing. Some people say, oh, the church has always got all these rules. No, 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 no. We have some things to help us, to keep us from the bondage of sin. And the consequences and the chains that come from the consequences of sin. That following the Bible is great liberty. The psalmist is saying, help remove this way of lying. My heart's wicked. It wants to even lie to me. That's again part of that idea of revival to get thoroughly right with God. Is that we don't like to think ourselves as bad. We don't like to see ourselves as wicked. And we lie to ourselves and tell us how great we are and how wonderful we are. How God is so lucky to have us as part of his family. When God got you, he did not get a catch. He got something that was broken and doomed to hell. And the only good thing in me is Christ Jesus. He says, remove me. Remove from me the way of lying. Lord, my heart's so wicked. And it's so messed up. Verse 29. Or verse. <coughs> excuse me. So he sees that my soul needs strengtheneth. My soul needs quickeneth. We see one more thing. My soul needs enlarged. My soul needs enlarged. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 30. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. Now it was. God through his word has quickened and strengthened the psalmist's soul. He now has a decision to follow God 
and make it so his words, God's word is solidified in his heart. As the decision is made and put into practice, it begins to stick. Verse 31, I have stuck unto thy testimonies. Here the idea of stuck carries the idea to be adhered to. Notice he's not stuck with the decision. He's stuck to the decision. I made a decision to follow after God and I'm going to keep this decision. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Because I need to. Because this is what God has given me to. That it's not a burden. We know that there's some people, we all deal with them. I know I need to get to church. I guess I have to get to church. There's someone who has to be stuck with a decision. I'm doing it because I have to. We should be stuck to the decision. I get to go to church. God has given me the privilege to go to church. And I'm going to go to church because this is right. And this is what I need to do. And what I want to do. Not because I have to. It's something that I want to do. Because this is right. There's a difference in motive here. The prayer of the psalmist, as he's decided to stick to God's word, is don't let me get unstuck from it. He finds that if he's away from God, then he'll enter into shame for leaving his decision. Notice verse 31 again. I have stuck to thy decision, or to the, I've stuck to thy testimonies, O Lord. Put me not to shame. Listen, I made a decision to follow after God. Don't make me to the place where I mess up and I fail and then I end up not keeping my decision. It's so fun to go, <laughs> fun is not the right word. Sometimes going to go visit someone, oh, I'm going to go to church and they start going to church for a little while and then they fall away and go knock on the door. Oh no, pastor's here. I know I need to go to church. Or you get to the place where pastor's here and you watch the curtains thing. And I'm not talking about people knocking on the door first time. I'm talking about church people used to come. And they look through the curtains and then turn off the lights and shh, 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 pastor's outside. Shh. It's happened. Why are they hiding? Because they're ashamed. They made a decision and now they're not sticking with it. Now pastor's coming and they're ashamed. They know that they should be doing something. That they're the place where they know that they failed and they messed up. And he says, don't let me be like that. I've been talking all this time to everyone that I'm following after God. And if I quit following God, oh, how horrible of a testimony that would be. Yeah, I'm following Jesus. I carry a Bible. I'll beat you with it if I can. Then not following after God. They're like, ah, I thought he was a Christian. Makes it look like God's not worth following at all. If you can't keep to the decision, either God is God at all times or he's not God at all. He said, don't let me be ashamed. Don't let me mess up. People are watching me. People are, you know your neighbors know if you're in church or not. They know your schedule when your vehicle's there and when it's not. They may not say anything about it, but they know. Oh, I wonder why they're not in church tonight. Neighbors say that. Oh, they keep telling me all the time about going to church and they didn't make it to church. Mm. Now, I know I'm speaking to the choir now, but we can all relate to that. Notice as he goes on in verse 32. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Here the psalmist is desiring to live for the Lord. He asked God to enlarge and increase that desire. Enlarge my heart. Increase my desire 
So that way I will run eagerly. Notice that. I will run in the way of thy commandments. You know, sin narrows our hearts so that the circle of our desire is circumcised by self. What does that mean? That if you get, stay out of the Bible, you'll stop having a desire to follow after God. Amen. If you want your desire to be increased, read more of the Bible. Sin makes it so we have no thought for God's, God's interest, God's desires, God's will for us. The more that we read our Bible, the less self is involved. The less we read our Bible, the more that self will start controlling. It's the pathway to stop serving God. Remember, before anyone has a public fall, it starts with a private failing. Sometimes we'll hear about preachers who fell and preachers that we respect it. Preachers that we go, oh, I respect him. I, I love him. And then you watch them fall. And you go, how in the world does that happen? They stopped reading their Bible. Somewhere along the way, they stopped seeking after God. And their flesh got involved. Why do some people who were in church for years fall out? They stopped reading their Bible. They stopped seeking after God. If you stop reading your Bible, you become more susceptible for sin. Anyone is capable of anything at any time. How's the quickest way to get there? Stop reading your Bible. The greatest thing you can do on a daily basis is to read the God's Word for yourself. And as you're reading it to seek after God, your heart will be enlarged. I want what God wants for me. Where, why is it so younger Christians are so excited about serving God that they want to go charge hell with a squirt gun? Because they're in their Bible. And the Bible's alive and it's putting a desire in them. And they're learning so much. And they're, they're the ones that are listening to the preacher. This is wonderful. This is great. And they, they want to go charge the world. Then you get the old crusty preachers or people who've been in the pews all of their life. I've heard this story before. And they barely tolerate it. Why are they not leading the charge? Because they're no longer excited about the Bible. Their desire has died out because the Bible's no longer alive for them. Keep your excitement in the Bible and God will enlarge your desire. The more that you're in this book, the more you want to do for God. The less that you're in the book, the less you want to do for God. Why is preacher, uh, preachers all over have to twist people's arm to get them to do something in church? Because the people not in their Bible. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Be in their Bible. Be in their Bible. If you're in the Bible and you're excited about it and you're looking for it and you're always learning, you can never outlearn the Bible, by the way. You know, you could be 80 years old and still be excited about your Bible. Amen. And still wanting to serve God. Still wanting to go on. Still on fire. Never lose that passion. How do I do that? By being in the Bible. I will run. When our hearts are enlarged as a result of our decision to follow God, things like prayer meetings and communion service and soul winning times and quiet daily times and the meeting place of God's people are the things our heart desires because God implants those desires there. Why is it that the prayer meeting, <coughs> now there are churches and we'll get there eventually, but we can have a prayer meeting on, um, on a different day and a different time where we just... Come and pray. Why are those usually the least attended meetings? Because their heart's not there. Their desire's not there. Why is it that people say have a, have a hard time showing up to soul winning? Their heart's not there. And their heart's not there because they haven't been in their Bible. When you're in the Bible as you are, your desire is for those things. 
It's not a burden to go to church. It's a privilege to go to church. It's not a burden to pray and talk to God. It's a privilege to pray and talk to God. Why is some people excited about coming to church and some not? Because they've been in their Bible. There's something with it. Now the psalmist desires to live for the Lord. He's asking God to enlarge and increase his desire. So he will run eagerly towards God's word. And so again, we have the backdrop of a psalmist who's on the edge of depression. And he's recognizing that maybe he messed up. Maybe he's feeling guilty. Maybe there's sin. And so we ask God to quicken my soul, to strengthen my soul, to enlarge my soul, that I need God's word. That's the only way I'm going to keep going when I don't have a cheerleader. That's the way I'm going to keep going when no one around me wants to serve God. How am I going to keep following after God? I have to be in God's word. How do I get out of the depression? How do I get going to God's word, seeing his promises, obeying? Lord, revive me again. Revive me again. How is your heart? Is your heart still full of desire for God? Are you still wanting to see what God is going to do? Or is the Christian life starting to become dry and dusty? Has it become more of a burden? Has it become just something you tolerate? It's all based of God's word and your own walk and talk with God's word. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.